Please join with me in prayer. Almighty God, I do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In several of the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of Christ coming into the world, they spoke of Christ's kingdom as being a kingdom of peace. And so it is. Uh, When we enter into Christ's kingdom, we have peace with God. God also grows in us the spiritual fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The Beatitudes tell us when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we become peacemakers in our relationships. And God uses us as individual Christians and also as the collective body of Christ to expand uh, and increase Christ's kingdom of peace here on earth. Peace spreads everywhere that God's people are active. But Christ's kingdom of peace is very different than the world. And so Christ's kingdom of peace also brings with it disruption. While Christ is setting things right side up, it appears to the world that he's turning things upside down. So just look at the disruption that Jesus calls in the passage immediately before uh, this morning's text. If you look a, a, a few verses up uh, to verse 27, uh, Jesus calls disruption by calling a despised tax collector to, meet, to be among one of his twelve disciples. And then to calls further disruption. Jesus went home with this tax collector. He went um, to his home to have a feast where this tax collector uh, named Levi, we also know him as, as Matthew, Levi invited all his other tax collector friends. And so Jesus goes to this house full of tax collectors full of people that the Jewish people considered traitors. And he went and had a feast with them. Uh, this, it, this disrupted the Pharisees' whole idea of righteousness. Pharisees would say, you don't go and associate with people like that. Jesus turned their whole idea of the purpose of the Messiah on his head by telling them that he didn't come to call the righteous. Rather, he came to call sinners to repentance. That it's not the righteous that need a doctor, but those who are sick. And so, Jesus uh, turned the Pharisees' whole idea of righteousness upside down. But what Jesus was really doing was setting things right. Entering into Christ's 
kingdom of peace is disrupting to the normal order of things. And our normal approach to God must be upended. The normal approach to God is when I, I'm going to do these good things for God and God's going to accept me. I'm going to be sincere. Uh, and God's going to accept my sincerity. We, we think that we can approach God through our goodness. But in reality, we are to approach Him in our unrighteousness so that we can receive His righteousness as a gift. We think we can appease God through our sincerity, our insincerity, when we really must confess our insincerity in order to receive His mercy. Instead of trying to appease God by working our way to Him through our obedience, we must rest in Christ and His perfect obedience. The world, in all the major religions, they get things completely mixed up, turned upside down, by thinking that they can approach God in their goodness, that they can approach God in their uh, righteousness, that they can approach God by doing good things. When Christ says, no, He came to save sinners. He did not come to save the righteous. Our passage this morning is about the disrupting nature of Christ's kingdom of peace. So, be prepared to be disrupted this morning. The Pharisees, in their pursuit of devotion to God, they fasted twice a week. They fasted on Mondays. They fasted on Thursdays. But Jesus and His disciples, they weren't fasting on any kind of regular basis. As far as the Pharisees could tell, Jesus' disciples did not fast at all. The Pharisees had heard about John the Baptist and his disciples fasting, and they had been fasting because they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus' disciples not fasting? In the mind of the Pharisees, Jesus did not require his disciples to fast. Therefore, Jesus must not be very devout himself. And on top of not fasting, as I already mentioned. Jesus was going to the homes of tax collectors, eating with sinners. The Pharisees were scandalized. And so that's, where, that's what's happening when we uh, come to our passage. Verse 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours... They eat and drink. So Jesus gives a three-part answer to the Pharisees' objection. In part one of Jesus's, I'm sorry, yeah, in part one of Jesus' answer, Jesus compared himself to a groom or a bridegroom at a wedding. Jewish weddings in Jesus' day were a week-long celebration. The bride and groom did not uh, leave immediately. Uh, after being married, they stayed for the week. They celebrated with the friends and family. Um, and like our wedding receptions, the celebration revolved around 
food, lots and lots of food. And so it would have been inappropriate then uh, for the groom or any of the guests to practice fasting during this wedding celebration. And so this is uh, Jesus's, the first part of his answer, verse 34. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the, the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus is likening himself to a bridegroom. He's with the people. It would be wrong, Jesus says, to make everybody else at the wedding to fast when it's a time of celebration. But there would be a day when Jesus would be violently taken away from them. As one of the the children told us this morning, that day came when he was hung Uh, on that awful cross, when he became sin for sinners like you and me. And following Christ's crucifixion, his disciples would certainly fast. But after Christ's resurrection, we read very little about fasting in the New Testament. Um, That's because Christ is always with us. We live our lives as Christians in joy. We live happy lives because Christ, the Spirit of Christ, has made our heart His home. We are never separated from our Lord Jesus Christ. There are times when it is appropriate to suffer, I mean to to fast. Uh, One of those times would be times of suffering. But But generally, the Christian life is one of joy. It's one of freedom in Christ. It's one of exalting in our Lord and Savior who loved him, loved us so much that He came here to earth to be our Savior. Um, it would take us beyond the scope of this sermon to try and give a theology of fasting. So you can ask me uh, personally about that uh, subject uh, on the side, but... Uh, I simply want us to see that Christ is stressing that because He is the bridegroom and because He is with His people, fasting should not be the major expression of our walk with Christ. Romans 14 verse uh, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking because the, the, the people in Rome were having an argument. Should we eat? Should we not drink? Should we uh, drink wine? Should we abstain from wine? They were having these arguments. And, And Paul says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 verse 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Jesus told his disciples in John fifteen eleven, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, You have sorrow now, 
but you will see me again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Joy must be a leading expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ loves us so much that he gave himself on the cross for us. Our sins are forgiven. God is working all things together for our good. We are a new creation in Christ. We are free from sin's lordship over our lives. And we have eternal life. In Christ, we will live forever and ever and ever. And when we reach the end of eternity, we still have eternity to go. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are more than overcomers through Christ who loves us. Our future is bright when we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have joy in Jesus? Christ our bridegroom is with us. He is loving us. He is caring for us. He is shepherding us. And Christ will use your joy in Him to pull you through the hardships of life. He'll use your joy and your peace and your hope in Him to pull you through the difficulties and temptations that come your way. So, brothers and sisters, cultivate your joy in Christ. Or to paraphrase Tim Keller, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, when it is deeply woven uh, into our life, it reorganizes the way we approach life. And it drives our motivations. Do you have a joy in Christ that pulls you through the Slav despond? To use uh, John Bunyan's uh, picture there of... Uh, of the Christian experiencing hardship. Does your joy in Christ drive your motivations to seek the Lord and to be holy? Or, or is it fear, slavish fear? Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, we have joy that is full and complete that cannot be taken away from us. Use your joy in Christ to press forward through hardship, through difficulties, even through temptations. The Pharisees did not realize that their relationship with God was ultimately God's work. They believed that they were chiefly responsible for their relationship with God. So what the Pharisees would do was they would try and combine their faith um, and their works together. And this is the second point of Jesus' um, answer to the Pharisees' objection. Look at verse 36. He told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not will not match the old. And so Jesus is saying, 
you, you take a, a new piece of garment and you uh, sew it into an old garment, what's going to happen? The new piece is going to start shrinking and it's going to pull away and it's going to leave a hole. Now, most of the blue jeans I see these days, that must be the fashion statement. Um, to have some, some new material in there that pulls away so that you've got tattered and ripped up jeans and, and you buy it new that way. Um, and Jesus would say, that makes no sense. And I would agree. But I guess I'm a little old-fashioned. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. Your salvation is a free gift uh, from God. That means your faith is a free gift from God. Your forgiveness of sins is a free gift of God. Your righteous standing before God is a free gift from God. Your growth as a Christian is a free gift from God. Your eternal life is a free gift from God. God's promises are all your, that are yours in Christ are all free gifts of God. Even the good works that you do are free gifts from God. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which He has prepared in advance for you to do. Ephesians 2.20 Pharisees didn't have any concept of this. They thought... I've got to do my part in order for God to do His part. They thought that they could work their way into the kingdom of God. And isn't that the strategy of most religions? What they do, what most religions do, all religions except for Christianity, bring God's holiness down and lift man's goodness uh, up so that hopefully God and man meet in the middle. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God is so infinitely holy that we could never ever begin to reach where He is, even with our best efforts. The Bible says our best efforts are dirty rags. We could not begin to, to close the distance on the infinite holiness of God and our sinfulness. The gospel is God the Son came down here to earth. He bridged the gap. He took our sins. He paid the full price and then gave us His perfect righteousness so that in His righteousness we are able to attain to God's righteousness but it's not anything that we could ever earn or deserve. Christ fully and completely bridged that gap. He is the only uh, bridge between God and man. Like I said, the Pharisees would not and could not understand this. What Jesus is telling them here when he talks about the, the new piece of garment and the old, um, the old piece of garment, he's saying that the new uh, grace of God is incompatible with legalism. And I know that there are some that, uh, 
well, maybe even most, so I may be on the, uh, the minority here, that see this as a difference between the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I see him talking here and answering the, the, the Pharisees specifically in their legalism. And he's telling them legalism is not compatible with the kingdom of Christ. So these Pharisees were practicing the age-old system of trying to make themselves right with God on the basis of their own works. Faith in Christ is incompatible with works religion. They won't fit together. You try and sew them together and the grace of God will pull itself apart from the old works or from the the self-centered works of legalism. Romans 11 verse 6, Paul says, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace and, and legalism are incompatible. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here when he talks about this, um, the old uh, piece of garment and the, the new piece of garment not being able to be sewed together. The kingdom of Christ not only is incompatible, it will not coexist um, with legalism. In fact, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of, of Christ's grace shatters all of man's, uh, all man-centered approaches to life. And this is the point of the third part of Christ's answer to the Pharisees with the wine and the wineskins. The gospel cannot exist side by side with the way that the world approaches life. The world approaches life with self at the center. The world loves self first. And it despises all who get in the way of self. The world believes that God revolves around them. The world believes self to be good and worthy of God's love. The Pharisees although they dressed themselves up in religious garb and used religious language, the Pharisees were basically living with a worldly philosophy at heart um, and self was at the center of their existence. Jesus and his kingdom of grace and peace then was like new wine being poured into the old wineskins of self-centered religion. The new wine, through the process of fermentation, will create gases, and it will continue to to expand the wineskins with with the the gases of the fermentation process. If the wineskin is old, it will burst because it's already been stretched to its limit. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will burst the old order of things as Christ takes the throne and pushes self out of the center. Christ and self cannot sit on the throne of a person's soul simultaneously. Who rules your soul? Who sets your priorities? Who organizes your approach to life? 
Who drives your motives? Is it Christ or is it you? Something happened this week that serves as a perfect illustration of what Christ was teaching here in this passage. And I'll conclude uh, with this illustration. Um, The old wineskins were burst wide open by the grace of Christ this past Wednesday. You may have heard how a year ago, a white female police officer in Dallas accidentally entered into the apartment of a black man named Botham Jean. Uh, And she thought that she was entering into her own apartment. She had gotten off, I guess, the elevator at the second floor when her apartment was on the third floor. And Mr. Botham Jean was sitting in his apartment watching TV on the couch with the door unlocked, apparently, She saw this man sitting there. She had her police revolver because she was uh, a police officer and she shot and killed him. Many protesters from all over the country came to Dallas to demand that she be charged with murder because they said that she acted out of racism. I know very little about this case. I haven't followed it. She may have been a racist. I know nothing about her. Um, I had really not heard about this uh, story until this past Wednesday. She was found guilty of murder on Tuesday. Botham Jean's family took the stand to address the jury for the sentencing phase of the trial. Everyone in his family had been asking for a harsh sentence to be imposed until Botham's Uh, little brother, Brant, took the stand to speak. Instead of wishing her greater punishment, Brant spoke to the woman who killed his brother, and Brant was 25 years old, a black man, speaking to a white uh, police officer. She was, she's 30 years old, and here's what he says to her. I hope you go to God with all your guilt, all the bad things you've done in the past. All of us have bad things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. If you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. I'm speaking for myself. I love you just like anyone else. And I personally want the best for you. I was not going to say this in front of my family, but I don't want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. And the best would, that could be for you would be for you to give your life to Christ. Giving your life to Christ would be the best thing for your life. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad upon you. And Brant, as he was saying this, He was crying. And then he asked the judge, can I give her a a hug? And the judge, I guess not being used to this kind of request, didn't say anything. And he said, please, please let me give her a hug. The judge, who is a black woman, she was openly weeping herself. And she finally told Brant that he could give her a hug. 
And so he came down from the witness stand, and Amber Geyer, this woman who had uh, shot and killed his brother, she rushed forward, and they embraced in a firm and very long hug, crying on each other's shoulder. You could hear gasps through the courtroom. This is a picture of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ bursting, bursting the wineskins of racism and hatred and disdain. It's the Lord Jesus Christ teaching people to love their enemies, to setting love for others on the throne of the heart, rather than and, and dethroning self. And love was on the throne of the heart because Christ was on Brant uh, Botham's uh, in Brant Botham's life. It's the kingdom of peace in Brant. I'm sorry, Brant Jean's uh, life that caused him to love his brother's killer. The postscript, sadly, to this story is that many are condemning Brant for showing mercy to a white lady who killed his brother. Um, I even read a couple of news reports quoting pastors to say that Brant acted sinfully by offering forgiveness to Amber Geyer. One person said that racism and white supremacy can't be hugged out. These are comments and attitudes by people who are strangers to the Lord Jesus Christ, who are strangers to the kingdom of peace. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is powerfully transforming. But when it transforms, it also disrupts. It disrupts because it sets everything right, everything right side up in our sinfully upside down world. Christianity may not make sense to the world. Christianity may not make sense to all of you who are here this morning. But I challenge you, trust in the gospel. And doubt yourself. Because you may have things upside down. You may have things backwards. And the Lord Jesus Christ can set things right side up. He's the king of peace. He can do it. He has done it for me. He has done it for many of you. He has promised to do it. He did not come to save the righteous, but sinners and bring them to repentance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm reminded of how um, you said that you came to bring a, a sword And that you came to set brother against brother. And all you were saying was that you came to be a disruptor. Because you were coming to set things right. And in our sinfully broken world, our self-centered world, the world will hate that. We thank you that you were willing to be hated for us. We thank you that you went to the cross pay the price for our sins. Lord, 
We thank you that you have set us in Christ right side up. Continue to uh, work your kingdom of peace in us in order that we might be agents of your peace here in the world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.